everyone and welcome to the Early Years Conversations podcast with me, Kerry Payne, and my wonderful virtual colleague, Kate Moxley. Uh, we are recording another podcast this week. Hopefully it's going to be a video podcast as well um, with myself and Kate and um, one of our other virtual colleagues, uh, Rosie, who runs her Instagram and it's Orchards and dandelions, is that right? Orchids and dandelions. Orchids, orchids and dandelions, based on um, based on a really interesting book, actually, which I'll, we'll probably talk about today. Uh, so we asked Rosie to come onto the podcast today because um, I've been following Rosie for about a year or so, and absolutely live for her post. She's very vocal about resilience and ensuring um, well-being and well-doing in everyday practice and life. Um, she is a previous uh, teacher, qualified teacher, and then moved into childminding, which we're going to unpick a little bit today, and is now transitioning into a parenting coach role because a lot of the work that Rosie does um, is actually supporting parents with things like transitions, ensuring that children are building resilience, and really just keeping well. And particularly during the pandemic, Rosie, you've had some phenomenal resources for parents and practitioners. So we wanted to have you on here today. Um, I've contacted I've contacted you previously because we've connected over a number of things, mainly feminism and talking about women's issues. And so we really wanted to just catch up with you today because you've got a lot to say and, and a lot of really important things to say. We start every podcast with just a, how are you feeling, just to get us into the swing of things. So honestly, how are you feeling today, Rosie? I am feeling okay. I, I, the last month, I think I have had to take some of my own advice okay and um I've, I've had a very sort of full-on lockdown experience I think like most of us have and I think going back into the normal pace of life I say normal you know we're back into school I've got all my children back um things are picking up aren't they and I've been giving out a lot of advice about that not really considering that it might affect me too right. <laughs> so I have had to slow down this past month and take some of my own advice so I've been chilling a lot more which has been nice actually so yeah thank you for asking thank you for having me it's great to be here yeah we're really excited I've, I've obviously spoke to you before about getting you on the podcast because we often um hit the dms don't we and have a kind of rant about the things that are going on in the world and I think slowing down that is definitely something that I think a lot of us have had to do during lockdown I've, I've done a number of disappearing acts uh, particularly on social media because it can get a little bit too much exposing yep. yourself to everything at all times mm -hmm. um but during lockdown then so you said you know you've had to you've had to slow down in some ways but in terms of what your world has looked like what types of things because I've seen you doing designing and developing resources and yeah. transition what types of things have you been doing and, and how's mm -hmm. that helped you and others yeah I've so I started training in January um on a um, with Blossom and Berry who are doing a, a mother and baby wellness diploma so I started training with that and then when lockdown hit this was to, with with in mind to run classes for mums and babies okay obviously this all happened so I carried on with my training I had to stop childminding immediately like everybody you know um we got given like one day's notice didn't we and so I just decided to throw myself into that I made a website and did finish my training and um, just started thinking about how it was affecting people and seeing, and, and as you say, like on social media, I get a lot of messages from people 
Um, so I just started sort of responding to that and thinking, right, what are people going to need? What are the children going to need? Um, thinking about transitions, especially going back into school mm. and childcare. So I started just producing resources and things for parents, which have been received really well. Um, so yeah, it's just sort of responding to the need, really. My classes aren't up and running yet. Um, so I've trained, but I don't know what to do with that, really. It's all very much up in the air. A lot of people that I'm training with are struggling. Obviously, they're mm. all women <laughs> looking after their families at home, something that we can talk about here, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all kind of in a, of a muddle about what to do, how, where our career's going, how we can best support parents. Yeah. With all the rules and regulations in place, so... It's yeah. really tough, but something that you said there, and Kate, I don't know if you've, like, I think we've probably talked about this as well, have, have both of you found that you've had to get suddenly very creative about how to, like, suddenly self-promotion and having to continually talk about your skill set and your expertise in order to, even not getting paid, but still feeling like you've got purpose in every day when those routines that we had prior to lockdown of getting up, going to work, training, childminding, delivering, like all those things kind of seem to evaporate. And so we've had to move into new spaces and get quite creative. And I do think we've seen some amazing creativity during yeah. lockdown from everyone, really. People are starting to think, what can I do that's outside the box? Have you found yeah. that with what you've done? A hundred percent. And I've actually really enjoyed it. I mean, it's been incredibly difficult because I've had my own two children at home. Right. Um, and so it's in a way having to fit it in with that all at the yeah. same time you know there's no there's no segregation is there work home life it's all just a big Im amalgamation of everything but I've actually really enjoyed it and I have I've I've made a real effort to kind of build communities as well which has massively helped me and I think a lot of people that haven't had that especially women that have had babies over this mm. period of time have really 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 suffered because that is such a massive part of like keeping well isn't it having people around you and yeah. I think as a childminder anyway I was suffering with yeah. not having that community but I've just built it I built the childminding circle Tell us a bit more about that because the Child Minds and Circle is a genius, absolute genius idea. Well, I was just sat in the garden one day thinking, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, there was new guidance coming out every day. Um, I wasn't open, obviously. I didn't have any key workers, families that needed me. Um, they were all keeping their children at home and I didn't know when they'd be back. I didn't. I didn't honestly know if I wanted to reopen because it was just so scary. You know, it's your own home. You've got your own children there. We've got family members that are not in our immediate family, but extended family who are vulnerable. I was thinking, well, if I'm going to see anyone, it's going to be them. You know, mm. I don't want to then have to not see them for another. Anyway, so there are all these questions. I've just really felt alone. But obviously, Instagram, you have a community. I have childminding friends through Instagram and locally really and I just thought oh my god why don't we just we need something so I put the idea out there on stories and just got a really good response and I just thought you know what we need to all feel like we know what we're doing we need to feel like we've got a bit of a community we've got a bit of kind of people have got our back we need some accountability we need some motivation so I started by just 
um, organising CPD sessions so once a month um, that would be kind of relevant to that period of time, mm. um, month on month, and then we just meet on Zoom, um, as everybody was doing over lockdown. <laughs> Got totally Zoomed out, but we just, yeah, so we have meetings and we have a really nice little community of us. I think there's about 20 of us now. Um, oh, really? Yeah, oh. yeah. So we're not all there all the time in all the meetings, and that's absolutely fine. We've got a Facebook group. Um, you can vent, you can rant, you can say what you need to say, and you know that the people in there, it's not like, you know, there are Facebook groups that you can go on, child money Facebook groups, with like 12,000 people in them, and you know mm-hmm. you're going to get a very, you know, you don't know who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, but if you, if we all know each other now, and we know who to ask for what, and we've all got our own skill sets, there's some amazing people, they're just so, so amazing. Um, so I'm learning loads as well, so that was partly it as well. Um, so, yeah that's really that, it's kind of taken off yeah yeah and obviously i joined one of your meetings yeah. i i used your um child minders as guinea pigs for my my book and i think what stood out when i joined the group um to ask them questions is the i think something that stood out is one of your child minders made that comment of well you know we're just child minders nobody kind of takes us on board and you know we're, we're largely kind of still perceived as glorified yeah. babysitters and mm-hmm. And despite the campaigns by Pacey of not just a childminder and, and a real shift to try and change this attitude about childminders, how have you found in terms of then obviously interacting with a group of childminders and, and seeing the attitudes around that and who are predominantly women as well? Yeah. How have you found that in terms of their well-being experience? Because it is having to tackle that just a childminder and your well-being and a pandemic and your business then being at risk must be really difficult yeah it is um we and that's partly why i did it really because we can you can also get stuck into that thing of i am just a child mind you start believing it yourself Mm. um if you've got no one else to talk to about what you do you get into a rut day by day you start not being inspired you're not doing anything new um and you start to actually believe that yourself Mm. um but obviously together we are learning from each other and you can see that the other people are doing amazing things and it kind of that really helps but I think it is definitely a perception that we have from we have from the outside which is I think it's just over the last 20-30 years that that is what a childminder used to be isn't it I used to go to a childminder who was just a lady across the street from the school my mum worked at and she was working so I used to go to nursery and then mum would drop her over there and I'd to give me some sweets and I'll go to sleep for the afternoon you know it was that I yeah. think and it's not anymore but that perception has not shifted um I think there's a real divide in people parents uh those that want childminders and know about childminders and those that just don't mm. know about childminders and there is a natural kind of um feeling that nurseries are safer I think oh really safer and i think well this is a feedback i've had there's they're they're more reliable in terms of there's always someone there Mm -hmm. so if you're working you know that someone's going to look after your child and they're safer because they are they have like an overarching system you know Mm -hmm. whereas i just think no i you know if you're going to visit someone you pick that person that is Mm -hmm. that person is the person you pick and go in their house and you can ask every question under the sun and you know that person is never going to leave your child 
yeah that person will be with your child you know but it's it's very much personal choice isn't it i think it's uh, yeah. Yeah. i was gonna um interject there to say that you know um i was a childminder when um evie was um well, after I had Evie, I decided not to go back to work because um, after my maternity leave ended, because I would have been paying the nursery more money to look after Evie while I was in the same building. Um, and I decided not to go back. So I was with her for two years, just the two of us. And then when she was about two years old, I started to child mind. Um, and then when I went back into employment when she started school i chose for evie to go to a childminder and not a nursery um and i think it's personal choice isn't it because actually the childminder that she went to used to be my childminder so when my parents divorced and um my mom was working this childminder lived next door but one to my mom and so we went there and then that's where evie went and so I had an experience and knowledge of what a childminder was because then my own mom was a childminder for a long period of time. So I have a lot of obviously, you know, personal experience of childminders. But like you said, I hear, um, and it's echoed what you've just mentioned around people's beliefs around what childminders do and what they are. But also I think how we reinforce that a little bit in the sector without realizing it, there just seems to be a bit of a hierarchy, doesn't there? And you know, um, I bet people would be surprised sometimes to find that you're a teacher. Like, why? If you're a qualified teacher, would yeah. you possibly oh, yeah. want a child mind? Um, well, and it's again, the, yeah, it's, it's like the whole thing of like teachers in school get moved up to year six or you get moved down to reception, that whole thing. I don't well, know. At least on a punishment system, you go like, up, you go down if you're well, not. No, like you've been promoted if you go up to year six, you know, and uh, there were lots of, I've heard it a few times. Um, Mrs. <laughs> two men have said when they've been moved down, you know, I've got my inverted commas, to reception or down to key stage one, and it's like, oh, I, I've got, and then once they've had to do it, they're like, they admit how much harder it actually is and how, you know, um, but there is that perception, like you say, there's a hierarchy, and I think us childminders are way down <laughs> at the bottom. And I think it depends. Within, within the school, the value that's placed on early years, because quite often head teachers themselves have, not always, I'm generalising, but if your senior leadership team has very little specialist early years experience, then that's where that, that tends to happen. Um, and I think we're finding that um, early childhood is, um, I think especially, I'm speaking of my experience then when I worked within a school, when we opened up a childcare provision and I was employed to go and do that, um, actually speaking with the teachers that worked in reception and with nursery, a lot of them didn't have any early, early, early years experience until they found themselves suddenly in nursery or in yeah. reception. And again, it was a very similar thing. But when we started to actually really understand, you know, and look into how valuable and important the early years are, because unless you've worked in it, you don't really know. Um, you know, there's not always that understanding around brain development and those first, you know, a thousand and one critical days, just how important this time frame is. That value then isn't placed on it. And actually, you know, what you're doing as a childminder is exactly the same as a nursery setting has to follow in terms of statutory requirements and duties and obligations. And I think it's like anywhere. So I would always say to anyone, go and have a, like to a new parent, because I'm sure you'll probably find that 
friends or family always ask your opinion on stuff. So people are, oh, I'm looking for a nursery. Why would you recommend? And I say, go and check out some childminders, go and check out nurseries and go and you'll get a gut feeling. So in the same way that you choose where the setting, you, you are, I agree with exactly what you said, Rose, you're choosing that person, yeah. that person who's going to look after your children. And when it's one person as a childminder, you're putting your faith and trust in one person rather than a whole organization. Um, so it's, I think it can be a lot more personable depending on, again, who I you mean, choose. it can be a lot more personal. I get messages Sunday night, 10 o'clock. You know, I get messages over the weekend. I get phone calls. You know, I, d I doubt anyone whose child was at nursery would have called their child, their nursery key worker over lockdown just on FaceTime at any point, any which point they wanted to yeah. just chat. Um, or, you know, the parents need to ask me a question. They'll just message me at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. You know, it's like, that is a, that is the difference, I think, in, in kind of, in the personal bit of it. You know, you choose the person and you do have access to that person in a different way, mm. I think. It, not all of us, probably, probably some childminders have better boundaries than I do. <laughs> because um, I, I, um, I do know nurseries that do have that where they'll be like I'm getting calls because I do think they experience that but I suppose you can wait that out a bit more like as a childminder because you, you do feel that more intimate relationship yeah. if you're yeah. the one yeah. it's harder to be like hang on a second don't yeah. call me on a yeah. boundaries they're a big thing my learning curve has gone in not just setting up a business and all of that but the, the boundary setting i find really hard as a person anyway um but i've had to learn i have had to learn but i do think i also am a mum and i've also been that mum and i've mm. i that's fine you know it depends what it's about obviously I can see it on my phone and I can just pretend I'm asleep mm. but I really love these families and these kids so you know it's fine most of the time um and if the boundary needs to be set I set it as a kind of not so sort of individual parents but as a as a whole during Covid I think you know, um, I've always said like, you know, especially doing the role that I do, I, I pride myself on my work-life balance. So I wouldn't respond to emails out of hours and I wouldn't uh, at, at weekends because I try to advocate, you know, and carry out actually what I am saying to yeah. other people. Um, but I found, especially during lockdown, you know, some days you don't even know what day it is. No. Some days we're starting earlier and finishing later. It has been a bit of a blur. I suppose it's about also that emotional support. So if someone is like, so for example, my daughter's school shut down uh, for two weeks um, after being back for three weeks last week. And we got the text at half eight at night. And what we talked about, and we've said this is a running theme, everybody's circumstances are different. But, you know, if you are then a working parent and you have got a childminder, maybe you're a single parent and you're trying to navigate your way through this stuff, actually okay so we don't advocate sending messages outside of ours and of course you know these podcasts started because we're talking about mental health and well-being and putting those self-care boundaries in place but actually sometimes when you're dealing with these emotional connections and relationships you know responding at 10 o'clock at night to someone that's in distress who you've got a really close relationship actually you know it's the, the best thing to do in that moment isn't it yeah, I think it is definitely seeing that you just have to take it 
like you know situation by situation a bit human about it and that's why i tried to be over lockdown you know obviously it was incredibly hard with the whole pay situation um i've never been found anything so stressful in my life um because we have no guidance in terms of there's no central place telling us what to do um, we're self-employed a lot of us everybody's situation is different like you said every family my situation is different to another child minders yeah. um, you don't normally talk about those situations with the families that i look after they don't know what what andy does what he earns well you know anything like that and all of a sudden it all has to be laid bare and i try to be as human as possible about it and say look this is my situation um what's your situation you know, and it was just all, you know, that is, that is awkward and awful. And, um, and I know a lot of childminders have had to do the same. It's, you know, I think nurseries in the same way that they're, they are an organisation, they send an email, this is what we're doing, you will pay us this much or you don't have your space, boom, there's a wall. But that wall was certainly not there. And for childminders, it's been really, really hard. We've we've been forgotten. The guidance didn't mention us. We, in fact, we were lumped in with babysitters. So we were actually it was actually put out there that childminders were allowed to go back to work um, and look after children in the guidance. When actually they realised that they meant babysitters. So in the actual government guidance, we were we were labelled as babysitters. And what we you know there was this kind of like what can you get this straight are we opening are we not you know no sorry we meant babysitters all right thanks um glad you know what we do so we were just forgotten you know it was just and any of us that were, were open in the last three years like with anyone who's self-employed um which is me um mark you have you get your percentage based on the last three years well i my setting up costs and my first you know, I've only done two tax returns, so it was based on, once I got it, it was like 10% probably of what I earn. And I know loads of childminders are like that who've opened in the last couple of years, so. Yeah, and listening to you, it's, it actually, you can kind of hear the emotion of yeah. not feeling, because I think the, the key word in lockdown has been uncertainty, but I think what is often overlooked during lockdown is that the levels of uncertainty are not collective you know like as a as a nation none of us know what's going on but then there are those different levels so like and, and what you described there even like your physical demonstration of at least a nursery though they are you know subject to lots of adversity of with the situation yeah. as a childminder there's literally no wraparound of security no protection and you're then having to lay bare personal information about yourself and you're having to try and work out other people's personal information to go is this something that we can work and we're not even referred to in, in government guidance and you can see how that really yeah. really knocks people sideways and I think what's additionally really sad is that we do see this movement on social media to be and childminders but I do wonder it, it all feels a bit futile doesn't it because it's not we know that that divide between settings and childminders is still very very acute it's still very much there um and and getting that recognition that you fall under the exact same umbrella and like when we had the meeting on um zoom with the other childminders it was even those conversations we were talking kate around 
you know, most, most settings have a Senko and a system for sends, but then a child minder, not that you look at the, you look at the code of practice and particularly during a pandemic where you're having to really consider children's additional needs, you look at the practice and you go, this is not written. This is not even slightly written for a child minder. So you're then left in this really horrible, um, ambiguous and ambivalent zone of, I, I literally have to make it up as I go along until I do something wrong and somebody corrects me, which yeah, like the, that kind of feels like I feel like the harrowingness of that. It's really yeah, it's quite sort of, and that is where I started to sort of think about the child minor circle because you can turn to other people, even if they don't know either. Mm. It's nice to all be in it together <laughs> and not just be on your own. But yeah, it's, it's so it has been very uncertain. But it's, it, and then you you know you say well it's been uncertain for everybody and it has and there's no you know somebody's on somebody else's uncertainty and feelings are no less valid even if you know what's happened to them doesn't sound you know it's, it's it's that isn't it we're all in nobody in this situation you can't turn to anybody and they'll say ah oh, i know what you can do and can help you because they've also got a load of old crap going on in their life so yeah it's it's just been a bit of a tough one hasn't it <laughs> and um, coming back to i think it, it's been really emotionally tough but coming back to that creativity and the things that have been born out of it it's yeah. how those will sustain past what whenever this ends if it ever ends but you know those things that we've built in those creativities and i think coming back to you talked about obviously you're a parent yourself as well um kind of moving on to the the, the women's issues as we often speak about so um child minders as our settings uh, predominantly female what's kind of just give me a lowdown of what your your feelings are you shared an interesting statistic to me and kate before we we started recording so what's your kind of take on that well it has it's been over lockdown it has been women that have been obviously hit harder than men um in many ways i've, I've found this i read this earlier today um from the institute for physical studies they said mothers are 47 percent more likely than fathers to have been made redundant during the pandemic or quit their jobs due to lack of childcare. So that is massive, isn't it? Um, and I think it has, I was thinking about this earlier and, you know, we went, Andy, Andy, my partner started working from home before lockdown, like a year before, and we had to muddle through the kind of, this is my job description and this is your job description. Now you're, you're working, because you used to be out of the house practically all week and here at the weekends, because you worked in London, long hours, you know, gave that up but it was a real few months good six months of us kind of in not in a pandemic working out like what our, how we've what our job specs were because they changed I started working again I'm not going to do all the old stuff I used to do you need to do a bit of this it it was it was hard everybody else has been dealing with that in a pandemic mm. you know new roles children at home often aren't around their kids some parents you know they're working they're not around their kids all the time and these obviously the women who generally are the main parent carer um the roles have fallen to them mm. with the kids because it's easier and in a pandemic you need what's easier you need what's consistent the children need what's consistent so they've had to deal with that and do their jobs and you know and that certainly happened in our house like even though i'm very aware of it it happened here the children responded to me more easily i knew how to teach them better 
you know mm. I wasn't childminding but I was trying to get other stuff off the ground and I was learning and I was doing my studies and I was trying to build a website at the same table as my children you know and this is happening all over the place women are women have had to do it all yeah and it, they can't you can't do it all <laughs> So when my, so obviously I work in a university and there was a statistic around um, and it was, it was quite a, a offensive um, headline around women are not producing as much research during the lockdown, they're not engaged in as much research and I was like oh that's interesting and somebody turned to me and was like yeah because they're at home looking after the children, they're not out doing research because they've taken on the caregiving role um, and it was like actually some of the sacrifices that people are having to make. And I was having a conversation with a group of nursery practitioners and they were talking around the care, like there was a big conversation around caregiving fatigue. So this is something I'm very, very passionate about in mental well-being and health is that um, caregiving is assumed to be obviously a natural talent, usually of women. Um, it's assumed to not exhaust women as much as it does. Um, and I was speaking to a group of ladies who were a group of women that were saying, um, we go into a job where we're expected to caregive for 10 hours in a professional capacity. And then we've got to go home and continue another version of f familial like family caregiving and so you are literally there's, there's just no there's no break to, to actually stop consolidate and to repair and obviously the physical impact of that is is absolutely insane and and it's odd to me how none of that seems to be addressed in our sector as a whole. Pandem pandemic aside, it just isn't addressed that caregiving is a skill, but it also takes its toll. It takes its toll massively. And it really, ha I mean, that's what's happened to me in the last week or so. Um, you know, being back into looking after, I feel like, you know, I've, my children's emotions going back to school, they've actually been all right, but you know I was prepared for it not to be because my daughter's had problems in the past but then all the children coming back you are you've talked about it before you're a container for all of them all of their feelings they're all little they're new you've got new kids the parents are anxious you're a container for their feelings and 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 you're on all day no break you know and it's in your house so for me everything's in my house so I'm never away from the you know, my job is in my house, so it's you can't really escape it. Um, and it really has taken its toll, you know, I'm, it's constant. Mm. And like you say, it's, yeah, and it's, yes, it comes naturally to me. That's why I do it. And that's why I wanted to be a stay-at-home mum when, you know, for a little bit of time in between. And, but it doesn't mean that I don't need that time to decompress. But that, that time doesn't really ever come. No. So it is become, it's, I, I've had to become aware of it and I'm becoming more aware of that kind of thing. And the fact that I need time. Well, like yesterday, I said, I've got to get out. I've got to get out. Mm -hmm. I need to get out now. I need to get out of the house because I'm in the house all the time. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing with child minders at the moment. We, we, we do the job because we love the freedom. We love to take the children out. We like to be outside. We, we're allowed to do that. That's part of child minding. So you've got that freedom. You've got the freedom to take the children out and about. And obviously the job is not really like that at the moment. The job doesn't feel like it needs to. Yeah. So, and some parents don't want you out. So yeah. you know, we're not going out. So it has changed a lot. You know, that's, it feels different. It does feel different. Um, 
I was just going to add, um, just kind of listening to you speak then and that kind of the role as well about mothers. Um, I'd seen uh, there's a really interesting post um, on Facebook um, about the mental load. I don't know if anybody saw it. It was by a lady called Natalie Lee. Um, I just, I tried to find it at the start of our call, but I, it's, I can't seem to, to, to actually find the, the actual post now. But it, it talked and summing up some of what we've spoken about, which was, um, you know, it, the systems, um, you know, that we have all kind of become conditioned to and the systems that we follow have created this role where women are the are, are caregivers and the doing all for everybody. And we don't actually take into account the mental load of the mother. Um, and so it was kind of around, you know, even the way paternity leave is set up um, for men to go straight back to work so that women are then at home and you know and it talked and it was so that all of these posts I wish I could find them now to be able to showcase people pinpoint people to and hopefully I'll be able to um, find them afterwards but it was things like and I thought about this because I'm the same my daughter's my husband back at work my daughter's at home I'm stuck in the house just in the house you know and the amount of things we do it's almost like a thankless task yeah. <laughs> the things that the invisible things that we do that t takes its toll on our mental load that people don't see the thought the organization all the things that go into it and as well as doing the roles that we do you know within the house and and like you were talking about now you're back at work child minding you know within your home the children sometimes other people's children are getting the best of us and our own children and family sometimes get the worst of us I can remember coming home from work and I'd be like Mary Poppins at work la 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 and I'd come home and then Eve would say something and I'd be like because I said so <laughs> I've got nothing left for anyone else now I've given yeah, I'm and now exhausted and it's because I bloody well said so <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely and um, this has been something else um, a childminder in Cornwall she she did a post recently about this about uh, the childminders children deserve medals because they do, they, they, they are here, they wake up in the morning and I'm like, you have your breakfast now at seven o'clock because the children are coming and I need to go in the garden. And <laughs> you know, from the minute they get up, I'm working. Um, you, ha you have to have it now because I'm going in the garden in a minute. I need to set up, duh, 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 you know, and I'm getting, and then the children are here. Eight o'clock, I've set it to eight o'clock now. I won't work from half of seven anymore. Um, it's just that's just too much for me. Eight o'clock. So yeah. um, because yeah, and eight o'clock they're here, I'm on. You know, and my kids are there with kids around them. Then they're at school all day and I'm talking on my whole thing about transition, you know, when your children come home, make sure you've got some nice snacks <laughs> and you've got some nice sensory activity. My children come home and there's four babies, like you know, it's just and I'm looking after them i can't give my kids time and attention that they need till till half past five made it half past five not six o'clock anymore um but you know parents need till six sometimes but i just said no um because my kids need it too but they are around that and they do they need a medal they have to deal with all of that yeah. um and yeah i'm very much do appreciate what you've just said like i'm exactly the same you know you you're everything to everyone else's children and then your own <laughs> mom can i have a no you can't have a snack <laughs> what do you want me to eat darling to the to the baby <laughs> <laughs> 
but that's and that's that's real life isn't it and then also that you know explains why we are just last we are then emotionally worn out exhausted yeah. have i had a snack no <laughs> exactly by the end of the day there's no there's no time left is there to kind of to think about um you know um our care needs and what we need and, and and it's really hard to try and adjust that because it's not we haven't got this way by ourselves this is the world that we are living the systems and the, the the world has been developed and especially in the childcare sector we've created this weird world where women go back to work because we've all been conditioned to work so we must work to live now and we we pay for people to look after our own children sometimes while we look after other people's children and it's like what have we created in this world where we are showing children that not all the time but yeah okay we we're also showing our children lots of wonderful things about ourselves of what women are capable of of humans are capable of so it's not all you know i'm not trying to make it all doom and gloom because they're seeing wonderful um skills and strengths from us um uh, in all the different things that we can do but we shouldn't have to do it and it is about challenging that dynamic isn't it and rather than our worth is only based on whether we've cooked you know this meal from scratch whether we can juggle it all that we have to wear a badge of invincibility and exhaustion actually no we're human and we can only do so much and that's the most important thing we can show yeah i think that's obviously as a as a non because i don't have children and but obviously work with a lot of parents but i think what stands out to me as well and i was just looking at for the motherload article there was one on the guardian that was saying around what has still been of utmost importance even in a pandemic is that a woman is still not allowed to be a bad mother she still needs to be able to present the best version of herself um outwardly we know obviously behind closed doors trying to maintain that is very very difficult but i think it's it just is insane to me that the concept of caregiving whether you're a parent or a practitioner is still so just so disrespected isn't it it's a disrespected concept um totally and utterly disrespected um and i obviously can only as an outsider because i'm not a parent i don't understand how people wake up and crack on with their lives and and you see parents that you know on this sleep deprivation still then leading child minding businesses leading nurseries being area managers being consultants um it's just but no record recognition during a pandemic for the work that's actually happened no, it's, it's been, uh, and then on addition to that, it's uh, the whole mental load of suddenly being a teacher. And obviously I was a teacher, early years teacher, and my children are five and eight, just turned eight in lockdown. So I know what to expect. I know what they need to have done or not need to have done. You know, I know that my five-year-old son actually didn't need to do anything <laughs> apart from just play. Play yeah. at home, be happy. Uh, go out on some walks, do some exercise, um, you know, and, and I was trying to kind of guide, you know, we have a class WhatsApp groups, guide the parents to understanding that they haven't got to suddenly teach all this stuff and they haven't got to sit their child down for three hours a day and do these things. They haven't got to bake the bread in the shape of a pig that the teachers sent home. They're just ideas, you know, you don't need to do that. Just these are the basic things to do. And please don't let this add to your mental like it's just massive the parents just just really really felt that they just had to their ch child's life 
their, their whole future was in their hands and it's just it was just really upsetting to see just trying to kind of manage that you know help the children, other parents manage their expectations with it but I found it hard my, my children wouldn't learn from me they didn't want to know I think what's tricky is the way in which we use social media. So we've talked before about, you know, we show our highlight reel, our best bits to social media. But when we're not in a good place, we're comparing our wobbly worst moments, our vulnerabilities, insecurities, how we're feeling at that time when we're feeling low to the best version of someone else that's posted. So we're seeing the mums with all the the beautiful biscuits, the homeschooling that's going well, all of the wonderful things. And we all have social media, which is how we've managed to connect with one another. But that's why I think it's so important to also show actually the bits of of you know when when things are um, you know not going so well when things haven't worked out because it's impossible to be perfect all of the time nobody's ever perfect but social media cultivates this highlight reel and yet actually um, you know the way in which we kind of I don't know I don't know how I'm going to say it because it disappeared out of my head um, the way in which we then compare what is going on it, it we put pressure on ourselves all the time and sometimes that pressure hasn't come from other people it's the pressure we've put on ourselves and actually it's taking that step back and thinking like why am I doing what is my motivation for doing this why have I why am I thinking in this way just taking that step back to give yourself a bit of a breather because it's, it's, it's impossible Oh, and I've spoken to you about this, Kerry, haven't I? About the, uh, you know, on social media in the whole of early years, I thought I get very, very disillusioned by scrolling on my grid with all the early years people. I mean, it's beautiful to look at. Don't get me wrong, um, but you'll notice from my grid that I don't really have setups because I don't understand that aesthetic. Because you know, things aren't early years is not pretty. Like there's nothing about it that is pretty and perfect and ordered and yet that's what you see when you scroll and it can it can really feed into your I mean it doesn't me um because it just doesn't but I could see how some people could get really you know I need all the stuff I need it to be like that I need to have this perfect thing and it's it's just that is quite dangerous I think I think if you're not aware or if you're a new if you're new to early years and that's all you're seeing you're not seeing the stuff the the realities of you know it's about the interactions and the relationships that matter um, parents isn't it like the pressure because i had a i've got a friend and she is almost obsessive around i have to be seen to be doing and she's actually doing the most amazing things of a child but she has that little niggle in her brain of, and she texts me several times during lockdown going, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Am I failing? And I was like, I'm not a parent, so it's not my place to make that judgment anyway. But I was like, why? What is this insistent worry that you're failing your child? She's absolutely, she's rolling around in mud, feeding chickens. Like she's digging up things and eating things she shouldn't be. And it's like, allow her to just completely bask in that before some of those restrictions that occur in later education kind of bed in. But it was really sad to see, um, because she follows all the accounts around, you know, setting activities up in one minute and, you know, numbers, patterns, shapes, colours. And so here she was like, okay, 
my child goes out and plays outdoors and spends three hours making mud pies, but then I sit her down to do 10 minutes of um, tracing around letters because she's seeing that side of social media and that pressure to be like, I need to be teaching my child. And I was like, actually, if you go and build mud pies with her and build in that numeracy and literacy there, that's actually going to mean more to her. But I thought, what a horrible pressure social media has added to both parents and practitioners to think that we need to remove children from play to explicitly teach something because you just don't need to do it in the earliest years and i think what you've just said there rosie sometimes our children don't really want to hang around with us practitioner or parent They're like i don't want to learn from you i'd rather go and learn from my own explorations and investigations with you being used as a because that's what I think children are very good at. I'm doing my own thing. If I need you, I'll let you know. If I need something explaining, then oh, that. Absolutely. And I feel, I often feel guilty when I'm sat there in the garden and they're all playing and I'm like, oh, you know. But if I go near them, it all stops. Yeah. Um, so I, I have to just sit back and, you know, I'm not doing anything, but I am. I've set the, I've set the environment up so that they, are happy to do that and then you know and how happy are they to be back together and just playing and you know doing their thing getting mm. making things in the garden to go on their journeys or whatever they're doing in the little house and I'm sitting back thinking no actually I've done my job here I've made the environment to a you know I've, I've had my input with them but the environment to them now is safe and fun and that's what they want to do and I think even I was even somebody who knows about this I still feel the guilt sometimes. I should be doing more. I should be doing more. And it's, you know, we, we <laughs> where does that come from? I don't know. Um, it's there, though. The, the environment is the third teacher. You know, a yeah. lot of people are now inspired by Reggio. And it's like, well, if you're inspired by Reggio, then allow the environment to do some of the work for you because it's in those moments where children are immersed, immersed and involved that you might take a step back and observe. Or that might be the moment for yourself to go, breather. Because there's yeah. so much pressure for adults to continually be engaged with children's play, which then exhausts us. And yeah, it's. Um, well, I was just going to add. So I've got um, a Facebook group called Early Years Enthusiasts, and um, there's like nearly nine thousand people in that group now. It's been running for like a few years, but you know when I first started, you know what I'm doing now, I would share photos of these wonderful setups and environments because. Um, it would get a lot of interaction and engagement and people were really interested to see. But kind of as we, as, as things, you know, adjusted, what I realised was, you know, it wasn't, and so I'm very careful to share setups of, of um, environments and spaces because it's more, because through the work I've done, I see that the motivation for the environment is backward. So it's not, a, it hasn't been centered around the child's interest. It's because it looks Pinterest worthy. It because it looks Instagram worthy. And so it isn't, it wasn't about the child. So I'm very careful to share posts, but um, I've got some um, good friends of mine who are childminders. So uh, Roosevelt Childcare on Facebook, the ARC groups. Um, so Emma, Emma Smith is um, Roosevelt Childcare and Sally Wright is the art groups and Carla Blackburn is Tinklebug's childcare and Jenny Ainsworth is J.A. Happy House and if you were to just go on their Facebook pages and look at their environments you'd be like oh wow they're really really beautiful but what they all do really well is show the play residue the pocket 
play afterwards when they've been battered by the children's, um, you know, curiosity, when they've explored it, when they've become absorbed in it, entrenched in mud and paint and whatever. And what they're very careful to do, and what I really, and over the weekend I actually shared a post from Roosevelt because these photographs were, you would look at them and they look picture perfect. But what you notice in every single one, which is sometimes lacking, is the joy on the children's faces. They are absorbed, they are engrossed, they are absolutely hands, minds, brains, bodies, completely engrossed in what is going on. And that is what matters in the photographs. That's what we want to see. Um, not all the other stuff and um you know i, I mentioned them specifically because they're all at home childcare providers and, and oh, like, I know. I, I doing, do yeah doing really wonderful things and it, you know it's about that community of supporting one another and i know sometimes they get a lot of stick from people saying things like oh you know that setup's you know unbelievable what about and it's like well this is what it looks like when they've played in it this is the space that they've cultivated um and um and yet you know it's it's fascinating when you start and picking it isn't it and really you know thinking about what the motivations are and um for the play in the first place i think part of what you've just said is that you can't a lot of us can't show the children mm. yeah we cannot show the children so we can't show the mess and the joy yeah and that's where a lot of it comes from we can't so we show the beginning bit um, yeah. or people will show this amazing setup but because you can't show the children all the time they've got a little orange heart over their face yeah, we're not even yeah. supposed to do that now um so yeah. we because they can stickers can be removed if there's apps that can remove yeah safeguarding Rosie and I I had a situation where yeah. my nephew was in a forest school and I put a picture of used a picture of him for my marketing materials and there was a little boy's face and you could not identify him in my mind I was like oh but the parents rightly messaged me and was like can you get that picture off and then I posted it again accidentally months later and they contacted me again and it was dead easy for me to be like oh how dramatic and then I sat there and thought wow the actual invasion of privacy and that I didn't as a consultant was like oh don't be so dramatic but I was like actually that is it's yeah. a whole thing around child consent around yeah. identification um, and I know a lot of people do put the stickers on but what I would say is um and I did try to get this um trend in a while ago but just haven't got the followers um I was going to say something really sarcastic then but I won't um I didn't have the followers but um you don't need the kids in the picture the children can be gone yeah you need to what practitioners need to be doing is taking a picture a bird's eye picture of the environment once I, did try. I tried it at one point just didn't people don't want to see it but they will if we all keep doing it obsessively and being like look at the aftermath look at the because i think and i'm gonna it may sound kind of harsh but I do think it does impact on your mental health as a practitioner when you go, well, look at them with the, you know, smart ass environment and they I've got this friend, I won't name her because she's quite well known, but she's become really um, angry about toadstools. And she's like, why is a toadstool in every friggin' picture? I'm sick of toadstools. And I was like, oh, you know, I think people just yeah. love this part of this small world. But she was like, the toadstool for me is the, it's the symbol of, the haves and have nots in nursery worlds because not many of us can go out and buy like these beautiful resources and and these things that look organic but are actually quite expensive and she was like it's this aesthetically driven world puts a lot of pressure on nurseries 
to to try and you know emulate that or whatever but then it does move your mind away from the play from being available with the children and um, I was having a conversation with David Kahn for my book that's coming out next year and that's what we were saying you can go on Instagram and there are stories upon stories of people printing out signs and labels and going look at my new label maker and you're like label maker's great but how many hours are you having to spend um, in your own time or away from children and just go and go and write a label? Yeah, I know. It's the digging around in the letters and finding the letters to write, you know, next to the thing mm. and putting letters down about what it is. Mm. You know, have you seen that in pictures? I have because you said the screenshot. I don't understand it because the child can't read it. You probably spent 20 minutes digging around trying to find the right letters mm. and that is purely there for nobody's interest other than like the viewer mm. liking it so that to me is not um led by the child it's 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 for instagram isn't it and you know that's then that's where the divide is a little bit blurred i think yeah you know, how much of it is for the children and how much of it is for promotion of your what you're doing which I understand people need to do people need to do that and that's what gets likes and because we can't show the children and we can't show the joy and we can't show the playing you know there are a couple of I think there's play things I think they might be Australian um, but they often put videos up of like this is real play and it's amazing and I'm like yeah I have that at my setting but I just can't show it yeah um, and we've gone off track a bit haven't we but you were talking about Reggio um, who talk about rhythms, don't they? The rhythm of the day. And we were doing, we were talking about this in our child minding circle. And I think it's really important part of mental health and understanding what we were talking about earlier about your day being, everything being blurred and your day is so full on and you're constantly needed, you know, you're working all day and you've got your own children. And it is really important to understand your own rhythm, like your daily rhythm, your monthly rhythm, your seasonal, you know, I'm different person in different seasons. Yeah. I'm a different person different times of the month. I'm a different person different yeah, times of the day. Seasons, yeah, because you've got yeah. both of those to, as women, we, or anybody who actually, who has a period, has to deal with seasons. So, mental. Yeah. During the day, you've got your own ups and downs, like different points of the day, different people are different in the morning. It's all that kind of thing. You need to understand that about yourself. Mm. Um, and I'm definitely trying to do some more work about that, trying to understand, like, when I'm at my best and when I'm not and being sympathetic to myself when I'm not. Yeah. Um, back down to the practitioner, doesn't it? Because we imagine walking into a setting and going, right, let's talk about our um, bodily seasons or whatever and think about how a daily routine or rhythm and inertia works. Because I, um, and I always say to Kate, when we ever do podcasts or whatever, like I was a terrible practitioner, a terrible leader. Um, it, like it took me a lot of practice to kind of understand my rhythms and my behaviors. And I've often, I often say to people, as a practitioner, you go into work, so you travel into work, you get in for like 7.10, you start at 7.30, you're usually there for 6.30, so you've done the full day, so no child is having to deal with that hard transition. And what you go through in a day and how yet consistent you're expected to be. And then when the practitioner has a meltdown or gets angry or feels stressed or then goes on the sick or has health issues. And then we go, well, aren't you a bad practitioner? Rather than recognizing, and it's like you said earlier, Kate, it's the system that's broken, not the practitioners. Because we, I don't know anybody who can 
safely say a five day week, 10 hours a day helps them to thrive as a childcare practitioner. Cause that's why I was bad because I couldn't, I couldn't sustain. And it's like you said, when you're with your own children, you suddenly let loose. But I think practitioners do let loose on other people's children because, and I don't mean obviously in a, a safeguarding way, but you do lose your, you do kind of get to that point of like, yeah, someone snatched your phone, your toy phone, get over it. You could, you lose that, you lose that like. Yeah, you can't be, you can't. You're not Mary Poppins, Kate. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I used to be called Rosie Poppins by my, the first family that I nannied. <laughs> they used to call me that. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely agree Like you can't. I, I now work three days a week, three and a half. So I do Monday afternoon after school and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, gone down from, I used to do four. And I, I just, I can't do it anymore. I know people do, but I don't know how they do it. But I think that's it, isn't it? It's adjusting to that. I mean, it's interesting hearing you talk about, you know, noticing when I'm at my best and, you know, checking in and thinking about the different seasons or whatever. But I think, you know, we're, for lots of people we're so far away from that because we're still expecting children and adults and staff and just human beings in general to wake up and be fine and present at work and I'm okay and I'm going to get on with it and like you just said start the whole day there's this expectation to conform and just think it's impossible to be 100% okay every single day like and we expect children to show up in the classroom and just be, get on with the day, ready to learn every single day. And there's no room for manoeuvre there. When actually that isn't how life works and knowing what, you know, works for you and adjusting, taking care of yourself. And I think that's really interesting, isn't it? That like you, you're saying as a childminder, you've gone from four days down to three, you've adjusted the hours that you work. You know, I do this, the work that I'm doing because I was seeking work-life balance, which makes me laugh sometimes. And I think that's why I did this. Not what, not the only reason. And like, so Kerry, you're saying, you know, you're, you're not working hands-on anymore. Because actually, you know, why set ourselves up to fail? Why expect things of ourselves if we're not just designed or made for, for, for that, for enduring stuff? But unfortunately, the world we live in, it seems to be about endurance and getting through each day and waiting to the weekend to rest and, you know. Um, Liz Pemberton put a post on today. Did you see it? The um, um, capitalism, how we, we are just led entirely to believe. Um, and again, I would say now this is a major pressure on women is that productivity, always being on, always being active is just like, it's just a trick of the mind, isn't it? Like we're, we're being pushed to absolute burnout. And, and I've had a few situations this year in the pandemic where I've worked harder than I've ever worked in my life, even though I've not been hands-on totally get to the point of burnout where I can't speak to people for a week because I'm like <gasps> and then you have the guilt of but I can't speak to anyone for a week because I've failed at being able to manage my productivity levels and and I think you get into that vicious cycle of thinking that you always need to be on and I do think we've said this in the early podcast Kate I think it, the pressure on early years practitioners including childminders to be consistent and to be unwavering is insane and I do think it comes from within the sector as is it comes outside of the sector and yeah. it just makes no sense to me I just don't understand how we live in a world where a practitioner is expected to exist and operate at that level without yeah I know I agree I don't know if you saw the post I shared yesterday from the NAP ministry um it was about grind culture and I'd not 
I'd not come across grind culture before. Um, and it was just, you know, I, I do talk a lot about, and I said it earlier today, you know, we've been conditioned to live to work where that's all we do. Um, but it's about, you know, she, she talked about reimagining productivity, um, which isn't exhaustion, um, not grinding ourselves like a machine, um, you know, about resting. Um, and actually when you look into it, it there was a, it, what led me to this post on grind, grind culture from the NAP ministry was a Facebook post about grind culture in schools where we're expecting this of our children to always be productive, to always be on the go. Um, and, um, you know, that would be my tip for people to um, have a little look at the NAP ministry and look into grind culture um, and, and, and what that all means because it was like, you know, again, what are we, what are we doing in this world? What is, we, we are in control of this sector. And when we are as, as sometimes ill-considered and, and, and not thought of, we have to, we can't wear that armor. We, we can't wear that kind of cloak, if you like. We have to put on our own armor, I think, and, 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 and raise the standards ourselves and not be downtrodden and not allow ourselves to think, um, you know, in ways because of how we thought of, if that makes sense. Actually, I'm really proud to work in early years. I love it. And I think, you know, um, I, I'm not going to, I refuse to be downtrodden by people who don't see the value in it. So it's about taking charge of that respect, isn't it? How we think and treat ourselves. And I think refusing to be, what's the word? Refusing to be polite about it as well. Because I think... Yeah. This is another issue. And again, I think it's because we're predominantly women. And if we speak out in any way, we are bitchy or we're not kind. You know, the kindness, respectability politics that are being um, pushed on on us mean girls at the moment is, is just absolutely hideous. And I think what we need to be able to say as a sector is that early years is one of the biggest responsibilities you can have as a, as a practitioner. It is one of the hardest jobs. It's highly skilled. Whatever you want to call us, it's highly skilled. But we're also allowed to speak out about the injustices of it and the difficulty of it and the fact that and, and I know obviously you both know that I'm very passionate about this. No one speaks up for women in the early years. And the worst one for it is women. Women will not speak out of turn and be unpolite and go, this is really hard and shit sometimes. And it impacts our mental health. Doesn't take away that we love our children and that we want to be the best for them. But we have to be allowed to be angry as early as practitioners. And I think it is that. It's like seeing an angry woman in the early years will that anger go on to the children it's like no the anger is very much with the system which is yeah. absolutely and it's diabolical. it's the same I, I think i had a conversation with one of the child minders about this you know in the dms obviously not over but it, it you know we also have the fear that our families follow us on social media you yeah. know the the families that, that you've got to censor because you don't want them to think you're hate your job or you don't want to be looking after the kid it's not that is it it's just you're allowed to be a person and have <laughs> feelings and about being human like you've said several times okay. it, yeah it, it, yeah you are and it, 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 and the other thing is i think a lot of the, going back to the very beginning people that the whole childminder thing people just assume that i'm doing it for some other reason than i want to like any reason it must be it can't mm. be because you actually want to do it you know, I've had comments like that, you know, you'll go back to teaching or I can't even remember the comment. It was just so unbelievably rude, not meant in that way, but just like you can't possibly be enjoying it, like wanting to be, with these, you know, it was almost disregard. Yeah. And it, it's just 
there's such a little regard. It's kind of, I do this job so you can all do your real jobs. <laughs> it's like yeah. so far down. I mean, I don't feel like everybody, like the parents of the children I look after think of me like that. I'd hope not anyway, but the general thing is like, that is such a shit job. Like no one, who wants to do that? I can barely look after my own children. Why would you want to do that? Yeah. And that's the general kind of feel. <laughs> that is yeah I think that's a really important point because and I don't know how you two feel but I when somebody goes what do you do I kind of go oh oh, yeah I don't want to because I'm like if I say teacher and then they say what age group and I say under fives then they suddenly kind of go and I don't want to I don't want to say teacher actually if I say caregiver they think I'm a babysitter if I say early years they kind of there's no there's no regard for that role and I think but then as long as I carry the shame around saying it, then I'm, I'm complicit in the issue. Yeah. And I'm like, no, we're can early, isn't it? Because, and that's the thing, none of us would put ourselves through this if we didn't love it. You would not yeah. work in childcare if you did not love it because it is, it's a thankless task. Like, apart yeah. from the rewards of the children and the families, you don't get recognition elsewhere. You don't get paid well for it. So um, I think there's a, the only answer is, is that we do love it. I'm aware of the time, Kate, we have spoke a lot in this podcast we usually try to keep it to an hour don't we i don't know if we've gone over okay. yeah, we, we've talked about all sorts of different things <laughs> is that it then <laughs> no it's been great i felt like we we've discussed so many different things um you know in one podcast um i think it's been really fascinating talking with you Rosie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Have you got any, um, uh, well, let's end the podcast with what is a piece of advice that you live by that other people could get inspiration from? You said at the beginning that you had to take your own advice, but what's a piece of advice that you live by? Oh, goodness me. You could have prepared me for that one, Kerry. Um, <laughs> piece of advice that I live by, I don't know. Um, I think I started to think about it now in, recently, which is just really believing, and I talked about this today on my stories on Instagram, that you are enough. Mm-hmm. We are all enough in whatever capacity we are at in life at any point. Um, whatever you're doing is enough. And, um, you know, that's all you could do at that time that is enough. Perfect. That is a good one. Kate, do you want to do one? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm just trying to think of something now. Um, I suppose um, uh, when you were saying that, you are enough, I suppose it, it kind of just took me, it, it took me back to something I was talking about um, earlier and now it's just gone out of my head. My short term memory with my dyslexia is a nightmare. I've written something down and now it's gone out of my brain. Um, you, Kerry, can you give yours while I remember what mine is? <laughs> so mine, my inspiration or my advice that I'm starting to take to myself, I was at a podcast. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day about grief and it was this psychotherapist and she said, the thing to remember in life is that we are all as horrible as the person next to us. And it was the most enjoyable quote because I thought in this world at the moment where everyone is 
obsessed with kindness and niceness and don't say anything to hurt anyone and everyone's got to be lovely and yummy and and I just thought oh do you know what sometimes it's okay that we're, we're a pandemic is going to lead to us being horrible and we can be horrible and we are all the other thing that she said is we're not 360 degrees good but the efforts to try to be so is absolutely destroying our humanity it's destroying our well-being um, and that really stuck with me because i think one of the the things that i experience a lot of is shame about my horrible qualities because they, i've been told before about my horrible qualities and that becomes a shameful thing but actually the part of me i'm nice as well but i'm also a little bit horrible sometimes and that is okay I think that's really interesting. I mean, um, we're going to pick up on sim like a conversation around that. Um, you know, and I think it just, I can't remember what it was that I was going to say that linked to what Rosie had said about you are enough. But I think it's, I think a lot of things for me lately have been similar to that in that, uh, it's, you know, we do lots of things because we hope other people like it sometimes, if that makes sense, or we want a response. And I think, um, we show up in spaces and sometimes you want someone to recognize but actually it's okay to show up and no one else agree with you or no one else think the same thing that I'm not going to change my opinion or thoughts or beliefs because people around me don't have the same ones I don't know if that's made any sense other than only to me but again linking into the shame and 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 being a bad person of you know you know we're all we're all vulnerable we're completely we're all imperfect and I think sometimes especially when we work with children we've preconditioned ourselves to think that we've always got to be um, a good person but no one's 100% good all of the time so so yeah and really interesting I think ending the conversation in that way it makes me want to talk about stuff even more oh yeah we're gonna have to have a part two if we carry on but no that was um it was it was really interesting to speak to you Rosie and I think um uh, like I hope you don't mind me saying but I think obviously the beginning of the podcast a lot of those emotions you could feel you could feel the yeah. the impact of what has happened over the last few months and I think the whole purpose of doing this podcast is that we did want to reach people's vulnerable sides and for that to be okay for us to talk about it in an open forum because I think for child minders for parents and for practitioners it, the, the only way we can connect is by actually admitting some of those things that are yeah. difficult um, and then that feeds into the thing that we shared at the end is that we're not 360 degrees good there are challenges it is hard um, we've got a lot of of weight on our shoulders a lot of um, plates to spin but I think the hope is is that we're, we are all in it together in different ways but we're in it together and just thank you so much for sharing with us um, and anybody who's listening who is a childminder when the next subscription opens get signing up to the childminder and say I will be delivering at some point um, on one of your CPD sessions I know my brain just melted a few weeks ago and I wasn't able to do it but um, it's a really really good um, connection service for childminders who just don't want to feel alone which can be a lovely job so thank you so much Rosie for thank joining you. me today. it's been great thank you very much for having me